You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll investigate the power and purpose of prayer. Prayer is our tool to practice our faith and communicate with God. When we fully utilize prayer, our relationship with God benefits. I want you to join me in 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. It reads, the child grew and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told his servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so that I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today? He asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on and don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God in Mount Carmel. And when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. And when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes. Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. And Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch and he went in, shut the door, and the two of them were there and they prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes and hands to hands. And as he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite, and he did. And when she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. This woman's son died and she took her son up into what 2 Kings 4 calls the prophet chamber. It was a, a little space in the upstairs of her home. Well, I don't have a prophet's chamber in my home, but we're broadcasting this morning from my son, Ethan's bedroom. And his bedroom happens to be upstairs in our home. But this is the place that not only does he uh, sleep and do his homework, but this is the room that I often come in and lay my hands on him and pray for him. And we do our night prayers and our morning prayers often together in this space. 
And as we examine this text, as we begin this 21-day season of prayer and fasting, and even as we begin this new series, I want to study this together with this thought, the right response to all of the wrong situations. The heart of this season of 21 days of prayer and fasting is because we must understand that prayer should be our first response and not our last resort. As a matter of fact, what you should have recognized in Minister Michelle's story of hope is that it all revolved around prayer. Prayer was her first response, not something that she got around to it after she had exhausted all of her other options. No, prayer was first. This is, in fact, why we observe two seasons of 21 days of prayer and fasting. We do it in January, and then we do a second season in August because one of the most important things for every believer is that their life should be defined by a culture of prayer. In this important biblical story, what I want you to see is that this woman's, the Shunammite woman, her first response was to pray. See, her desire to get to the prophet Elisha, her desire to get into the presence of the man of God is but a biblical picture of prayer. That's what her action symbolizes. See, prayer is the right response to all of the wrong situations. And the first thing I want you to understand as we step into this story is that what God is trying to get us to understand first and foremost, number one, is that we ought to pray before we do anything else. I want you to look at this. Her child dies and she doesn't tell her husband. She doesn't announce it to her servant. Instead, she makes a beeline to the man of God. And the point here is that before we decide on an issue or even settle a matter, we must pray. It's interesting that she wouldn't say anything to anybody about the situation until she spoke with the man of God. She doesn't notify her family. She doesn't prepare for the funeral. She doesn't even murmur or complain. She doesn't even, even ask Job kind of questions like, why God and why me? She doesn't do any of that. Instead, her number one concern is getting to the man of God. And that ought to be how we approach every single situation. Our first response, our first reaction, our, our first move ought to be that we should pray. As a matter of fact, Psalm 50 and verse 15 is a very important scripture because in it, God says this. God says, call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you, watch this, and you will honor me. God, in essence, is saying that when you come to me first, when you, when you pray, when prayer is your first response, God says, not only am I going to deliver you, but you honor me. God says, I am literally honored. We often only think that honoring God is about worship or giving. God says, no, you honor me when you call on me first. But this verse is also important because the opposite is true as well. The inference here is that when we don't call on God, we dishonor him. When we seek every other solution instead of prayer, when we go to everybody and everything first except God, the inference here of Psalm 50 and 15 is that we dishonor our heavenly father. 
Listen, whenever we decide on an issue or come to a conclusion on something and we haven't prayed about it first, we prematurely and incorrectly judge it. Do you remember the story of when Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus dies? And do you remember when Jesus finally gets to the home of Mary and Martha, how they respond to him? They respond out of anger. They respond out of bitterness and resentment. They even say, if you wouldn't have been here, my brother would not have died. But, but they are responding that way because they didn't talk to him first. They started focusing on everything else instead of talking to the master first, and it affected their disposition. They prematurely judged it. They prematurely came to a conclusion that their brother had died and that there was nothing else that could be done. But I love it. When Jesus speaks up, he says, listen, your brother is not dead. He's just asleep meaning that he has the final word and all of that heartache and anguish and anger and disappointment could have been avoided if they would have talked to the master first instead of talking to him last. This woman is called the Shunammite woman because she lived in the city called Shunam. Now here's the thing, Shunam was about 20 to 25 miles northwest of a place called Abel Mahola. Now, Abel Mahola was Elisha's hometown. And here's the thing about that. Another 25 miles past Shunem was Mount Carmel. So I want you to get it. Elisha's hometown was Abel Mahola. About 25 miles northwest of Abel Mahola was Shunem. And then another 25 miles beyond Shunem was Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is where Elisha went to pray. It's where he went to meditate. It's where he went to seek God. So Shunem was literally halfway between Elisha's home, Abel Mahola, and where Elisha went to meet with God, which was on Mount Carmel. So watch this. This woman was only at the halfway point when the problem happened. When her child died, she was only at the halfway point. But because her first response was to pray, because her first response was to get to the man of God, to get into the presence of God, that desire pushed her all the way to Mount Carmel, all the way into the presence of God. Many of you understand and is seeing the parallel right now. What I want you to understand is this. Whenever you try to make up your mind about a situation that you haven't prayed about, you are only seeing half of what's really there. You're not seeing the picture clearly. But when you decide to pray, what prayer does is prayer pushes you all the way to Mount Carmel. Prayer pushes you fully into God's presence. And it's only then that we get the full perspective and the full picture. But we got to pray first before we do anything else. But then the second thing that we have to understand if we're going to utilize the right response to all of the wrong situations is that number two, we have to quiet all of the outside noises. I love it. This woman gets to Elisha 
at Mount Carmel and she tells him what happened. And the first thing that Elisha replies and says is he says something to his servant, Gehazi. He says, Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. He says, and and hurry up, get to the boy. He says, don't stop and greet anybody on the way. And if someone even responds to you or greets you on your way, don't respond to them. He says, get to the boy in essence as quickly as you can and then lay my staff on the face of the boy. And right after he tells the servant to do that, the woman responds to Elisha and says, listen, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. This is important, family, because it gives us insight into the heart of this woman. If, if it was only about what she could get from God, then the staff being laid on the face of her boy would have been enough. If if that's the only thing that she was after, then then she should have been able to say, okay, thank you. Let me rush back to the side of of my son. But she wants more than that. She just doesn't want trinkets. She doesn't um, want a, a trinket from God. She wants God. She wants a move of God. She wants more than the motions and, and the outward trappings. She wants God. And you know what? That's so important because often when we do our two seasons of 21 days of prayer and fasting, it never fails. People often ask me, well, Bishop, does it really take all of that? I mean, my goodness, you guys go through two seasons of prayer and fasting. Does it really take all of that? Do we have to do that? And my answer is, well, if you're only interested in the little things that you can get from God, if you're only interested in trinkets, then the answer to your question is no, it doesn't take all of that. But if you want a genuine move of God in your family, if you want a genuine move of God in this country, in our community, if you want a genuine move of God in your life, then it does. It does take all of that and then some. Elisha says, Gehazi, here, take my cloak, go heal the boy. And the mother says, I'm not leaving you. She says, I am not leaving. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not leaving. And it was at that point that Elisha gets up and says, all right, let me go. She's saying, I don't want the outer trappings. I don't want to go through the motions. I need the presence and the power of God to hit my house. And it was at that that Elisha got up and said, let me go. I'm going. And they begin to move to Shunem to see about this boy. I love it because Elisha senses the hunger of this woman's heart. He senses it. He senses that she doesn't want a regular run-of-the-mill kind of a move of God, that she really is hungry for God. And so he gets up and he follows this woman back to Shunem. And watch this. When he gets there, he goes upstairs to the room and closes the door. He gets to Shunem, he goes upstairs to the room where the boy is literally laying on the the couch or the bed, if you will, and he shuts the door. I don't want you to run too fast past that. He gets in the room and he shuts the door. We can't run past that too quickly because this is a pattern in scripture that reveals a really significant point. We've seen this pattern over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, when Elijah was ministering to that widow, that widow of Zarephath, that widow that only had a little bit of oil, and she's concerned that the the debt collectors, the the, the individuals for, for whom she owes money is coming, she says, to repossess everything that she has, including her son. 
So she is at a critical financial crossroads. She's got a financial crisis of epic proportions that she's facing. And she goes to the man of God and says, I'm at my my wit's end. The the debt collectors are coming. And he asked her, he says, well, what do you have in your house? She says, I really don't have anything but a little bit of oil. And Elijah tells her, you go into the house and listen to this, shut the door. He tells her to go into the house, shut the door, and to keep pouring out that oil. And the rest of the story goes on to reveal that God made a miracle happen, that God moved in her life, and she had enough oil to take care of all of her debts. But he instructs her, you go in the house and shut the door. We see it there. We see it uh, another time when Jesus gets to the house of Jairus. Jairus' daughter was ill, and uh, Jairus comes out to get Jesus, and and he's kind of delayed because Jesus is having this encounter with the woman with an issue of blood, and and after waiting patiently while Jesus heals the woman with an issue of blood and learns about her story, Jesus finally gets back to the house of Jairus, and then people are coming out of the house, and people tell Jairus, don't even bother the master anymore because your daughter has died. Well, Jesus then does the same thing. Jesus puts all of them out the house and Jesus takes Jairus, his wife. Jesus goes in along with Peter, James, and John. And what does Jesus do? He shuts the door. See, the closing of the door is not about what you are trying to keep in. It's about what you are trying to keep out. That's what the closing of the door symbolizes. It's not what you're trying to keep in, but instead is what you're trying to keep out. Because fear and worry and anxiety and depression and hopelessness, it's always trying to get in from the outside. But what prayer does is prayer quiets all of the outside noises and prayer positions us to focus exclusively on the Father. As a matter of fact, I do a lot of work from from my home, and when my kids are running around and a dog is barking, in my home office, I have something called noise-canceling headphones, and I'll put those headphones on, and when I put the noise-canceling headphones on, they shut out everything else. They cancel the noise. I can't hear the dog. I can't hear my wife. I can't hear my kids. I can't hear the television, and it allows me to enter amidst all of the noise into a place of silence for me to hear from God and to focus on the things that I need to focus on at that time. That's what prayer does. And I'm teaching to some of you right now, this morning, so many of you need this season of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Why? Because the noise is out of control. There's too much noise around you. There's too much noise around your family. There is too much noise around all of the situations that we're facing. And this 21-day season is about quieting the noise so that we can focus on our Heavenly Father. I love it in James 1 and verse 6. James says it this way. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all their ways. 
Meaning that when we really want to enter into the presence of God, we cannot have our mind and our heart clouded by all of this other stuff. Because if you can't quiet the noise, it will make you double-minded. Meaning we will approach God with doubt and with fear and anxiety in our hearts, which is not the right way to approach the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We need a season to quiet all of the noise, to shut the door, and to meet with our Heavenly Father. That's what this 21-day season is about. Here's the last thing, because prayer is the right response to all of the wrong situations. Lastly, we've got to follow the examples of faith. I love it. When Elisha gets into the room where the boy is, get this, family, he does the exact same thing that Elijah did when he was faced with a similar situation. Back in 1 Kings uh, 17, uh, Elijah connects with this widow, this widow of Zarephath, and later on in the story, her son dies. Her son dies, and, and guess what Elijah does? Elijah carries the boy upstairs to the room where he was staying, lays the boy on the bed, and he begins to pray for the boy, and he prays in some very specific ways. So now fast forward to 2 Kings 4. So now when Elisha gets into a very similar situation, he gets into the upstairs room of the Shunammite woman. And what does he do? He follows the example that was set for him by Elijah. And that's what we are called to do. We have had so many examples of how people of faith handle their most difficult moments. And while every situation and circumstance were different, their response was the same. They all prayed. When Moses and the nation of Israel were facing the Red Sea in front of them with, with Pharaoh and his army behind them, they, they, they felt like it was a dead-end situation, but they prayed and God moved. When Joshua was facing the fortified strong city of Jericho and the children of Israel didn't understand how in the world they were going to be able to inhabit the promised land. What did they do? They prayed. When Gideon was getting ready to go into a battle severely outnumbered, what did he do? He prayed. When David and all of his men lost everything, including their family at Ziklag, and things were so bad that the Bible says that the men actually thought about killing David. What did David do? He prayed. And I really don't even have to go all the way back to the, to the biblical characters of David or Gideon or Moses or Joshua. Because when I think back over my life growing up, when my mother's back was against the wall, I vividly remember she prayed. When my grandmother didn't know how she was going to feed five children, I vividly remember what she did. She prayed. When my grandfather was, was juggling race and trying to pastor and shepherd people and going down into the country of, of Georgia, pastoring multiple churches and delivering mail and enduring racism and all kinds of economic challenges, what did he do? He prayed. And that's where our confidence comes from when we pray. When we have our backs up against the wall, we pray because we know we've been here before. 
We know that when we've had our backs up against the wall before, we prayed and God came through. We know that when we were between a rock and a hard place, we prayed and God came through. We know that when when people were against us and the odds were against us and the haters were against us and it looked like Satan was winning, we prayed and God came through. And here's the thing. Here's the whole point of this new teaching series. We can pray with confidence because... If God did it before, guess what? He'll do it again. That's why Elisha prays. And that's why he does what he does when he prays, because he is in essence saying, do it again, God. Do do it again. Do it again. Do it again, God. You did it with Elijah and the widow of Zarephath and her son. So do it again right now. Elisha begins to pray. And because God has done it before, he is fully persuaded that there is nothing too hard for God. So he prays and then he stretches his whole body out on the child, eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, hand to hand. And he begins to pray. And you look at this and you say, well, what's so significant about about that? It's a sign that, that he identifies with the situation. This, this notion of him laying on the boy, eyes to eyes and mouth to mouth and hand to hand, it, it symbolizes him putting his whole soul into this work of prayer. This is part of the reason why we fast when we pray, because we're giving up something that's important to us because we are committing our whole soul into this work of praying for 21 days. If you think, well, I don't want to let anything go and I don't want to give up anything and I don't want to fast, your whole soul is not into this effort. And maybe this season is not for you, but I'm preaching to some of you right now this morning and you sense this calling from God. You sense this burden from God. The anointing of God is on me so strong as I'm sharing this word because some of you this is resonating with. We've got to put over the next 21 days our whole soul into this work and watch God move. Elisha lays his body out over the boy and prays. And then the Bible says that nothing happens immediately. And he gets up and he paces around the room. And then he does it again. I'm here to tell some of you, don't give up so quickly. Some of you may think back to our time of prayer in January and say, well, I prayed and then COVID came. And look at where we are. Don't give up so soon. Just because it doesn't happen immediately doesn't mean that God hasn't heard your prayers. It doesn't mean that God isn't moving. This is why we call our time of prayer breakthrough prayer, because sometimes the breakthrough that you and I need demands that we are persistent in prayer, meaning that we don't just pray one time and give up, but that we continue to pray. The Bible says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. But sometimes you got to knock more than once. Elisha gets on the boy and he prays one more time. And then the Bible says that the boy sneezes seven times and sits up. God moves miraculously. And I love the way that the story ends. Elisha calls in his servant Gehazi and says, and says, give the boy to his mother. Why? Because it was his mother's response, the right response that fixed the wrong situation. Elisha closes and says, Gehazi, make sure that the mother sees sees the boy, because if it were not 
for a mother who prayed first, the situation would have been a lot different. I believe that God is ushering us into a place where he wants to move miraculously. You know, everything that we're currently going through in our country all points to a setup for a move of God. But the question is, will you respond the right way to all of the wrong situations? Will you seek God first? Will you pray first? Will you put him first? Will you set aside other things over this 21-day period and join us in prayer and fasting with expectation? How can we be expectant, Bishop? Because if God did it before, he can do it again. Well, family, I want to close by making sure that you are connected to this God that I spent so much time talking about, the God of miracles. He is a miracle-working, life-changing, awesome God. But you know, this widow woman, or the Shunammite woman, rather, she knew where to go. When tragedy happened, she said, let me go right to Mount Carmel. But if you don't have that kind of relationship with the Lord, where do you go? Part of the reason why a lot of people end up giving up in the midst of their situations. Part of the reason why we prematurely judge a situation and say that it's hopeless is because we don't know where to go because we don't have a relationship with the Father. I want to extend that to you today. And you can easily make a life-changing decision um, and make that decision that will open the door for miracles and signs and wonders, but you first got to open the door of your heart. And then you, you've got to invite Christ in. And if you say, well, Bishop, I've already done that. Well, guess what? The next step is you got to be a part of a faith family. That's why the worship center exists. That's why we, we really do ministry that's designed to impact the lives of people locally, but then also beyond uh, our present borders, because we know that they're hurting people all over. And even in this day of COVID and everything else, you can easily connect to our church family. We have a vibrant, robust online family. You can connect with us wherever you are. I want to encourage you to get connected. Don't try to do life on your own. And then lastly, I'm talking to you and you say, well, Bishop, let me check. Let me tell you, I've checked the boxes. I've uh, opened my heart to Jesus. I used to be a part of a church home, but life happened, challenges happened. And instead of running to Mount Carmel, I just walked away. I want to invite you to come back. I want to invite you right now to make a life-changing decision. If you're in any one of those three categories, you can easily uh, make a decision. And we're going to make sure that you know how to do it. It's really easy. You can utilize our text feature. You can uh, text this particular keyword, the decision, right there from your mobile phone. You can do it there. Um, there are also some links right there on our online campus that you can click on that'll take you right into an area where you can make a decision. You can also go to our homepage. Um, and right there, there's an area that says my next step. You can make a decision there, or you can even do it by way of our digital connect card that's right there in our app. However you choose to make a decision, what matters most is that you make it. And my team and I are ready to walk with you and celebrate the goodness of God in your life, but also 
to see the miracles and the moves of God in your life and to be on the sideline cheering you and God on. So family, it's been an amazing day. And I'm so excited about what's going to happen over these next 21 days. I hope that you will join us. All the information that you need to join us um, are out on our website. Um, there's a special website that we put together just for our 21 days of prayer and fasting. All of it's there, and I hope that you'll join us. And I'm so excited about this new teaching series, and I cannot wait until next Sunday, because on next Sunday, I'm going to talk about how prayer will cancel the assignment. Sometimes there are some assignments that are destined for our life, and it, sometimes they're not good assignments. Sometimes they're assignments of the enemy. But I can't wait until next Sunday because I'm going to teach you and walk you through scripturally how prayer is so powerful that it will cancel the assignment. Generational curses are getting ready to fall when you understand the power you have through prayer. Take care, family. We'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.